Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. Well, good morning, good morning. A good hump day morning. Yes, it is. That's what they call it on Wednesdays. We welcome each and every one of you to Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. I'm Tom Brenneman. We come your way Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern time. You can join us in a number of different ways on YouTube. Some of you already on. We appreciate you being here. That's a Chatterbox Sports page. We also stream on Facebook, Chatterbox Sports page. And if you'd like to join us in podcast form, check us out a little bit later when it's convenient for you. Search Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman, and you're dialed in. Before we get into the news of the day, Casey McAllister, Paul Fritchner, good morning. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, Tom. How are you today? How are we looking? How are you looking, Tom? Uh, right on schedule. Right on schedule. Right on schedule. You guys all right? Yeah. Casey, yeah. how are you? I'm fantastic. Oh, there we go. Fantastic, Tom. Good. Fantastic. We got a lot to cover here today, including Paul Xavier Musketeers. <laughs> They'll be traveling today. Is that correct, Paul? They will be traveling today. That's right. Will that be before or after practice? Uh, after. You, they'll practice before. Yeah. Yep. And then jump on the charter. Yep. Make yep. their way to Kansas City, where the University of Texas awaits on Friday night. That's a 945 tip. The Longhorns are favored in that one. Last I saw on Betfred, four points. Four. Four points. There are four games Thursday night in the Sweet 16, then the four games on Friday night. The Elite Eight starts Saturday, so you got two games Saturday, concluding with two on Sunday. Later in the show, we're going to come up with our top five dark horses. Now, look, we're not talking about Cinderella stuff here, okay? Because there's really only one true, two true Cinderellas left, right? In FAU and Princeton. Yeah. All right, but we are going to choose... The dark horses, we'll use that word, that we think have the best chance of getting to the final four. Not winning the national championship, but down to the final four. Some might say when we do these, you know, how do you pick a three seed as a dark horse? Well, it all depends on how, you know, what their path is like getting there, right? So we'll, we'll cover all of this. And we're going to choose our top five coaches in our humble opinions of those remaining in the Sweet 16. Well, in baseball, it's exactly what some say what the sport needed. The improbability of this happening was really beyond odds from any bookmaker before you could gamble legally in the Buckeye State. To think that two of the very best players in the world who are teammates with the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim would square off in the ninth inning, two outs of a one-run game, Game on the line. Shohei Otani on the mound for Japan, striking out Mike Trout of the United States for the final out in the WBC championship game, giving Japan a 3-2 win over the United States. The U.S. went 0-7 for with runners in scoring position, stranding nine runners overall. Japan becomes the first country to win the WBC three times. Now, before the game, Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred said that he'd like to see more star pitchers in the WBC, specifically from his home country, of course, the United States of America. 
They were star-studded in the lineup. You can't say the same about the pitchers. He'd like to see that changed. One thing they also asked him about, which he and Players Union had Tony Clark. They rarely agree on anything. But they agree, for those wondering, would you stop the season like they do in Casey's sport, soccer? Would you do that for a couple of weeks and play the WBC? Would you think about playing it at the end of the year? Maybe in November, early December. Tony Clark and Rob Manfred say, no, no, no. That's never happening. Not going to happen. So just file it. Football news a week after releasing Ezekiel Elliott. The Dallas Cowboys signed free agent running back Ronald Jones yesterday. Now, he had four solid years in Tampa before last year ending up in Kansas City where he rarely saw the field with the Chiefs. He appeared in only six games, had 17 carries. In 2020, this guy ran for nearly 1,000 yards and seven touchdowns with the Buccaneers. In other football news, former NFL MVP Cam Newton threw at Auburn's Pro Day yesterday and claims he's still got it. He's 34. Says he's still got it, Casey. I'll believe it when I see it. Does any NFL team out there see it the same way? And today is Ohio State's Pro Day with 13 Buckeyes scheduled to take the field at the Woody Hayes Center in Columbus. Those players include potential first-round picks, certainly C.J. Stroud and Jackson Smith and Jigman, Paris Johnson Jr. But other potential first-round picks include Zach Harrison, DeWan Jones. We will talk what's next for the Bengals in a matter of moments, coming up at about 10.30, with James Rapine of Sports Illustrated's AllBengals.com and Locked On Bengals podcast. In the most recent mock draft put together by all the writers at The Athletic just this morning, Casey, they have your guy going to the Bengals, DeWan Jones, right tackle at Ohio State. They say you've already got the prototypical body type on the left tackle with Brown, 6'6", 6, 6'7", 6, 6, 300. Jones goes 6'9", 330, maybe more. That's who they say the Bengals are taking with that pick to put the final touches on this offensive line. Well, uh, I mean, I how long have I been saying this? It feels like I've been saying it for like, three or four weeks now. It does. What I Bengals, agree. What the Bengals should have done, and I wish I could go back and clip it, know exactly where I started this whole campaign, but they're doing exactly what I thought the best thing for them to possibly do, and that was to sign Orlando Brown, trade Jonah away, and maybe go get Dewan Jones. Now, I just saw earlier today, like maybe – 10 minutes ago, Ian Rappaport reported, and this might not mean a whole lot to fans, but that there is a lot of interest for Jonah Williams. And if you scroll through the, the Twitter mentions and whatnot on that post, lots and lots of people from all different teams, Bucks, Eagles, Steelers, list goes on and on, Panthers, Jets, fans are interested in, in Jonah Williams. So I have to assume that other teams are also interested, especially with Ian Rappaport reporting that. Um, go and ahead. And James Rapine retweeted that 
at sportsillustrated.com uh, and went on to write. And we're going to, again, have him coming up in about uh, 20 minutes, a little less than 20 minutes from now, to talk about the Jonah Williams thing, what's next for the Bengals, with what they've done so far in free agency. Uh, Moreau got in and out of town as a tight end, did not get a deal. Where are they you know, there? Um, that whole kind of thing. Uh, before we get to James Rapine, I want to get to the WBC title game last night. Yep. Now, Casey, you did not watch it. I tried to watch about 15 minutes of it. Oh, you didn't see the end? I did I've, not see the I've end. I've got the ending oh, here. Oh, yeah, here. Fire it up, Casey. Yeah, here's, here's the end. 3-2 the pitch. Two down in the ninth. USA down a run. Shohei V. Trout. Hey, slider. See you later. I mean, he went 100, 100, 100, 87. Shohei would say after the game, it is the greatest moment of his life. Guys had some pretty good moments. But this, he says, is the greatest ever. This guy, you know, before we get into the game and the whole WBC and all that kind of thing, uh, th- th- this guy, he is going to obliterate. And I, I don't really like talking about money much because I think fans get worn out. I get worn out. I, I don't care what a guy makes. But I- I- if there is one guy, more so than Trout, if there is one guy that should be the highest paid player in baseball, you can make the argument in professional sports. It would be like the best quarterback also being a great linebacker, right? Pretty much, right? Or in today's game, maybe a safety. Whatever. I mean, right? Great on both sides of the ball. Oh, yeah. Right? Um, This guy is, it's just unbelievable. You're right. I mean, he's going to throw in 100 miles an hour. He's hitting home runs. Uh, He's in the Angels starting rotation uh, every five days. He plays in a lineup every single day. Uh, the guy is just unbelievable. And I'm not surprised Mike Trout strikes out. I mean, come on, right? Who's going to say the USA choked in that game? I, I, I will be the first guy to say when people choke. The USA did not choke in this game. They're pitchers for a bunch of guys that nobody pretty much has ever heard of, right? And they held that team to three runs, and two of them came in the first inning. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, they did an excellent job, right? The, the, the Americans just couldn't get a hit when it mattered. But can you imagine, and I mentioned it a moment ago, the statistical probability of that matchup, there was a leadoff walk right in the ninth. Yeah. Right? Then Mookie grinded into the double Yeah, Betts hits into a double play. And now here comes Trout, one-run game, teammates against each other, good buddies, two best players playing in the whole WBC. Maybe the two best players on the planet – on the planet. And they're the two that square off in the ninth inning. It's incredible. When, when I think it was the bottom of the eighth inning, um, or no, it was the top of the eighth inning in, in their second to last at bat, uh, the way the inning was trending, they put up a graphic on the screen when they got to a, uh, that point in the lineup. And Joe Davis and John Smoltz go, well, at least we're going to see Trout one more time. Maybe we'll see him against Otani. And then they get that leadoff walk, and you're thinking to yourself, okay, well, maybe Trout's going to come up here with a chance to hit a go-ahead home run. Wouldn't have been a walk-off. USA visitors in their own country. Wouldn't have been a walk-off. 
but it still would have been an incredible moment. Go ahead, home run. Then Mookie Betts grounds into a double play. And I'll be honest, when I'm watching that sequence uh, in that at-bat, I'm sitting there watching him throw, you know, first one, boom, 100, 100. You're seeing the little graphic pop on the, pop up on the screen, 100, right down the middle, 100, right down the middle, swing and a miss, swing and a miss. And you're going, oh, my goodness, this is awesome. And then at the very end, I'm thinking, man, is he going to – is he going to try 100 and blow it right by him again? Do it a third time? See, that's what a real man would have done. Just blow 100 right by him? Or is he going to break off the slider and kind of go back to that Aroldis Chapman thing where you, you have 105 and then you just whip out that slider and the guys are dancing out in front of it? And he goes 87 outside. Trout had no chance. No, I mean, that slider just frisbee. 18 inches of movement. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it, it's <laughs> insane. I mean, and that's what that, that's what Chapman in his heyday, his slider was like that. Randy Johnson, his slider was like that. They just put you away, and that's all she wrote. Will, will? Kurt Schilling would have thrown the gas. Tie game, maybe night. One run game. He's bringing the heat. Here it is. Mono mano as they say. Here it is. Here it is. Try and hit it. Here it is. By the time Shohei Otani's career is over, I think you could make an argument that it it could be now. But by the time his career is over, will he be the greatest baseball player of all time? No, he won't be the greatest player of all time. He'll be the most unique of all time, and he certainly will be among considered in the conversation. We'll see how it all plays out. He's got a long way to go. If he doesn't um, get hurt. yeah. Well, no, there's no doubt. I'm assuming that for a second. Yeah, I think last season – was you, you could make the case last season was the greatest season ever by a single player. Yeah. Yeah. So if he keeps stringing those together. Yeah, well, yeah. You know, and, 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 and Brian points out about how, how, um, how uh, in the chat, about how, you know, technically, I had said he pitches every five, every five days. It, 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 it's spread out where you get an off day every week. He's actually only pitching roughly every six days, six games, right? So, I mean, he's not a regular because the Angels go with a six-man rotation. Can you imagine being a fan of the Angels? And you've got arguably the two best players in the world on your team at the same time. And you don't even sniff the playoffs. No, don't even sniff it. I mean, it's that. I mean, isn't that ironic about what we're looking at here in Cincinnati? We're outside of Votto. You can barely name a guy on the team. They're not spending any money. And the Reds are basically losing the same number of games for all intents and purposes. Once you hit 88, 90, what the hell's the difference, right? You're not even close. And they got Otani and Trout. Which leads me to ask you two this question. Would you be more apt to go spend your money and buy a ticket to watch a crummy team with two great players than you would just a crummy team? You, well, yeah, I would. If you're telling me, can I go watch Mike Trout and Shohei Otani? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's the same sentiment. Right? I wouldn't pay for any of them to watch no. the, a team get their tails kicked every night. Otani, if he's on the mound, I might go watch it. I thought this was – so, to clarify, I think we both thought it was a either a crummy team or crummy team with two great players. I mean, obviously, that's the choice. I mean, but the, if there's a third option to not go watch it at all, I'm not watching either. It's the classic Tungsten Armo Doyle tweet. You know that tweet, Tom? 
The what? The tw- this is a teaching Tom moment. The tweet that goes viral every single time that we do uh, here. I can I can show it to you. Well, I'll just read it. Every time I see an Angels highlight, it's like Mike Trout hit three home runs and raised his average to 528 while Shohei Otani <laughs> did something that hasn't been done since Tungsten Armo Doyle, the 1921 Akron groomsman, as the Tigers defeated the Angels 8-3. <laughs> that's good. That's really good. I mean, that's, that's just a classic tweet, and that's what I feel like we talk about every time we hear the Angels. No, we, I saw that last night. Somebody tweeted that right at the end of the game. And he goes, man, the Angels must be great. Tongue-in-cheek, a guy that knows baseball. But it is, fr- it is frustrating to have two players that could potentially go down as – well, I mean, they will go down as two of the greatest of all time. But there was a legitimate conversation to say that they could be the top two baseball players of all time by the time their careers are over. And they're on a team that cannot even sniff – the postseason it's not like they're two games out no it's not like they're sitting there in October locked in on the last series and if they sweep the last series against the Mariners they flip into the final wild card spot and they get a couple of home games I mean they're not even close no and I don't follow the Angels close enough outside of Trout and Otani I don't follow the organization close enough to know why they're not close but they suck. They really stink. There's no doubt about it. And you know what? They draw like crazy. They did until, uh, I mean, even last year, they drew two and a half million fans. And that's a big reason why. Yeah. Otani and, um, and obviously uh, Trout. But, you know, it, it, you know the, angel, the Angels play in a great stadium. The weather is perfect. There was a long time there it was a country club. Back when they had Chuck Finley and Jim Edmonds and all these guys that were playing out. It was a country club. And then all of a sudden, Mike Sosha walks in the door and says, boys, this ain't going to cut it. He came from a winning franchise with the Dodgers. He said, you know, and, and they started to draft well. They assembled an outstanding team primarily of their own guys. They did bring in Vladimir Guerrero as a free agent player. Uh, and I was there. I called uh, their division series. I called uh, when they beat the Yankees. I called their league championship series when they won there and they got to the World Series and they beat Dusty Baker and the Giants. That was one heck of a team. And that is a great ballpark. Huge parking. Convenient. Easy. Next to the highway. Weather's great. I mean, but now all of a sudden, and don't forget, they're paying, they're, they're paying Rendon $45 million, whatever they're paying him over the next two years. Yeah. I mean. But he's also been hurt. He has been. And, it, and a lot of people like to throw Artie Moreno, their uh, owner, under the bus. I'm not one of those guys. Rend- Rendon, that team could have been good, you know, because when Rendon went to the Angels, that was coming off the Nationals 2019 World Series. And I remember how disappointed everybody around D.C. was that Rendon didn't come back to the Nats. Now the Nats are in the basement. You want to talk about bad contracts? Well, no, no, no. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Let me stop myself. Not a bad contract. A contract that has not panned out. Steven Strasburg. Oh. oh. I, I mean, look. I, 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 Mike Rizzo is one of my favorite people in the world. He was with me when I was announcing the Diamondbacks games. He was the farm director, head of scouting. I love Mike Rizzo. Great guy, born and raised Chicago guy. His dad, Phil, legendary baseball scout. Love Rizzo, the general manager of the Nationals. 
But boy, I mean, Strasburg had already had multiple injuries. He was missing multiple starts every year. He had had the Tommy John. I mean, there was no way I would have given that guy a long-term deal. And they did. And unfortunately, and I I feel bad for the kid. He's still a very young man, Strasburg. Good Lord willing, he has a chance to come back. Uh, Some are wondering why I'm saying nice things about California. I love California. Politically, the place is a mess, and you can't go anywhere. Uh, Literally, the nicest neighborhoods in all of California, you pick the town uh, without uh, homeless people living on your street. But as far as beauty, most beautiful place in the world. Going to a baseball game, no two better places on the planet. Three better places on the planet than San Francisco, four stadiums, okay? The Giants ballpark, incredible, right? Dodger Stadium, incredible. Angel Stadium, incredible. And Petco Park right in downtown San Diego. God bless you in your life getting out of there after a game. But, I mean, unreal. I love California. Love California. Love it. Never been there. Place it's, I, it, I mean, it's, it is the most beautiful place in the United States, and it's, it's not even close. I've been to San Diego twice. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not even close. It's from, I mean, that is God's masterpiece out there at that place. It is from one end all the way to the other end. It's unbelievable. It is so beautiful. Love it out there. Just wish they'd get their act together. All right, uh, back to this saying here a second. Um, Want to get back to this WBC. Some are saying this is uh, great for baseball. Paul, you were talking about it being the most watched game potentially of all time. Baseball game, that's worldwide. Um, we haven't seen the ratings come out yet. I'm yep. sure they will shortly. Uh, I did go back and do a lot of looking around, though, this morning. I was surprised to learn. Now, there's two ways of looking at this, right? The semifinal between the United States and Cuba, okay, Drew 2 million people that watched it, which was roughly one on the rating scale. One. One. And I'm sitting here saying to myself, okay, well, that doesn't look so good. Now, the flip side is, it was the highest rated game in the WBC since 2009. So, you've got a 15-year window there, almost 15, where... Uh, it's better than it's been the last 15 years. Um, yay or nay, good uh, in the grand scheme of things. Not was it a good game. Did you think it was an exciting game? Last night? I mean, what was it three hours and what? Uh, it was like three hours and 20 minutes. Yeah. Right? I mean, come on. Three to two game, three hours and 20. Tw- I tried to watch it. I wanted to watch it. I wanted it to grip me. Do they have a pitch clock and what? No, they do not, and they're so, not going to have one because uh, the other countries that participate do not have a pitch clock. And, of course, this is the first year for Major League Baseball having it. They're going to, to, to look into it. Rob Manfred talked a lot about this kind of thing before the game last night. But, Paul, your thoughts? I, I'll be honest. I, was, I, was wor- I didn't finish the rebound rundown until about the sixth or seventh inning so that I turned it on at the end and kind of caught the best parts of it. But I had it on muted in the background the entire time I was working on it. So I, I kind of generally saw everything that was going on. Um, I I thought it was a great game. I thought it was a lot of fun. And you could tell that it was going to be a close game and it would set up well for the end. 
I thought the last two innings were thrilling. And I thought that was coming off the heels of a very fun game on what day is today? Wednesday. That would have been Monday night, the the Japan game on Monday night. Um, I thought they were really good back-to-back nights. I, I thought the whole week – I thought it was great. I thought it was a lot of fun. I'm glad I got to watch it because I didn't – I mean, if you've been listening to the show, you know I, like, I haven't been able to watch a ton of it. So I'm glad I got to watch it. I was locked into the last three innings last night. I know that doesn't really answer your question because the question is more so about the whole three hours, but I thought it was awesome. But the people that were watching, they they were rewarded for watching the yes. whole thing. Great I, I think I think that's the the big takeaway from this. If it ended up being just like just an absolute yeah dud nine to end, two or something, yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. think it would have been nearly as great. But because oh, there was yeah. so much anticipation, the setup. I mean, you couldn't have asked for a better ending to the World Baseball Classic, in my opinion. There's no doubt about it. All right, so look, uh, Ham and Eggers, take a quick break before we get to James Rapine, and we're back in a moment. Okay. It's that type of the show, the Ham and Eggers. These guys are great. Trust me, I would know. I introduce all the best segments. All right. I'm looking into the camera right now, looking directly at all of you. If you're listening on podcast form, this doesn't apply to you. But if you're watching on YouTube, look me in the eyes. Now take your hand on your mouse and go down over here and like the video. We have over 100 people in here watching right now. I only see 23 likes. Go in there, like the video. Like the video, like the video, like the video. And if you're listening on podcast form, why don't you go back and and do a retroactive like. You can go do that. Also, I'm assuming most of you are subscribed, but if you haven't subscribed yet, Make sure you subscribe to the channel as well. All right. Uh, We will talk about the Bengals plenty here in the next few minutes. Um, You know, I'll uh, I'll bring up the Bearcats too. They're playing in the NIT tonight. They're playing at 9 o'clock on ESPN2, playing Utah Valley in the NIT. Uh, So we are going to lean, though, to the Bengals report. Right? Is that what you have up there? Bengals report. Uh, And it is brought to you by Encore Technologies. Encore Technologies provides IT solutions for a data-centered world with a suite of services from mobile computing to desktop to data center, supporting both centralized and work-from-home computing models to improve efficiency and productivity. That's right, Casey. Visit Encore.tech. The path to innovation begins here. There is also a new premium alkaline water out. It is right here in front of me. Casey's drinking it right now. It's Pawnee. Made in Hamilton, Ohio, Pawnee uses natural limestone filtration. Unlike the artificial processing that many other brands use, the result is a healthy alkaline water that is also the best-tasting water in the world. Visit their website at pawneewater.com. That's P-A-H-H-N-I water.com. P-A-H-H-N-I water.com to see where you can buy this great-tasting water. Drink. Oh, you did. You got it done. You got it done. You got it done. Drink Pawnee water. Get your coffee from UDF. Get your technology solutions from Encore and bet with Betfred. All right. That shit's really good. You got it all covered there. Got it all covered. I give it up to the Pawnee guys again. I want to say, uh, for those of you that weren't with us last week, they loaded up the truck right across the street here and took pallet after pallet after pallet after pallet to the folks, our friends in East Palestine, Ohio. Good for them. Good Good for for them. them. Good for them. By the way, uh, somebody had asked about the Strasburg deal before we get to James Rapine. He signed in 2019 a seven-year, $245 million deal. 
Over the first three seasons of that contract, he's made eight starts. Yep. And um, his season is going to be delayed again this year, um, at least uh, the 60-day DL, and they don't know what to do. It's just thoracic thing that other guys have had that have come back for, from it. He's looking for multiple uh, opinions at this point on how to get back from this thing. Um, so he'll be sidelines at least through the first two months. He's not done anything in spring training. Is James with us yet? Not yet. Not yet. Okay. Uh, Tom, uh, Sir Boy Wonder asked, did Pawnee get their deal with UDF yet? That I don't know. They have not. They're working on it. Okay. Yep. Sir Boy, I tell you, Sir Boy Wonder's all over everything. And somebody did point out, and I owe him an apology, JD. You're right. When so, I talked about California being the most beautiful, uh, Hawaii would top the list. Yeah, true. So you know, I people always talk about. I apologize. People always talk about traveling the world, which I'm very much looking forward to do. I've never been outside of the United States. Yes. But I've been to 46 states. I'm pretty wow. lucky. I've been all over the place. My dad traveled a lot when I was younger, and so my mom took it as an opportunity to to get around. There are some pretty great places in this country. Yes, there are. I mean, the the topography of this country to get around and to see some sights and to see the mountains and the beaches and everything else. And I know the world has a lot, and I'm not going to be naive about it, but there is plenty to see in the in the good old USA. There's well. no doubt. What four states are you missing? Do you know what they are? So I'm missing – I do. I miss Hawaii and Alaska are two, and, and I'll get to those eventually. But I don't – and I'll get to Iowa too. That's one of them. You got to go to – if you're going to go to Iowa, you got to go to well, Iowa City. Well, I was hoping to cross Iowa off the list last year at the Reds game, but that didn't end up working out. Okay. I was, I was going to try to make it out there to that. That didn't work out. But the last one, um, uh, the last one was um, I'm trying to remember. Oh, I don't know why I'm going to. I don't know why I'm ever going to get there. North Dakota. Mm. Get out to Fargo. Uh, Fargo, South Dakota. Forgive me. No, Fargo's North. Dakota. North Dakota capital. Yeah. 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 See, remember that. Capital my my dad would have conferences all over in, in these different regions of the country. So. My mom was big into history, and we'd uh, we'd tag along, go to all the visitor centers. You know the deal. Trace Fowler had to drive to Iowa by himself last week. He says next time he'll let you go. <laughs> <laughs> I love Iowa City. Love Iowa City. Go there for a football game. That's phenomenal. All right. Um, is James with us? He is here. All right. Here he is. I mean, this is our guy, our buddy, James Rapine. We talked about you can catch him on a regular basis, of course, covering everything that is the Cincinnati Bengals. And we appreciate him joining us regularly. Sports Illustrated's AllBengals.com, Locked on Bengals podcasts. All right, Mr. Rapine, first of all, how are you? How's everybody at home with your little infant daughter? Am I okay? Yeah, everyone's good to go. We're, uh, we're living the dream here, monitoring Bengals free agency. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you very much. Uh, lacrosse season is up and running for the for the mighty Marymount Warriors, and so we're uh, off to a 2-0 start. So all's right with the world. All right. Um, <laughs> now let me ask you this. Let's start with this Jonah Williams thing. Uh, you yeah. reported earlier today that there are a number of teams, correct me if I uh, misspoke there, that are at least uh, engaged currently with the Bengals about a potential trade. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, well, Ian, I'll take, I'll love to take the credit, but Ian Rappaport was the one that uh, that reported it. But yes, and that's not shocking, right, that, that there are teams interested in Jonah Williams. Uh, 
But the question is, what are they willing to pay? Because if they're willing to pay that $12.6 million that he's set to make in guaranteed money, then I, I don't think that the Bengals are going to fetch what they want in return for him. And that's kind of been my stance the entire time. But who knows? It, it, the left tackle market, the thing that was so surprising about the Orlando Brown Jr. signing wasn't just the fact that the Bengals spent huge money and $31 million up front, all of those things, to get a, a left tackle. It's that he was far and away the best left tackle on the market. There was no one even close. And now you look at who's remaining at left tackle, and Jonah Williams is right there as, as the best guy that could potentially be available. The problem is it's a guaranteed contract. You can't necessarily sign him for a multi-year deal, and you have to give up an asset to do so. Now, you could extend him if you're another team, and I'm sure that's what Jonah wants is, is an extension and the ability to play left tackle and, and all of those things. We'll see what happens, but uh, not shocked that there's a report that teams are interested, but what are they willing to offer? Because I, I think that the Bengals value Jonah Williams more than, say, most viewers and most Bengals fans do. Okay, well, but, but, but let me help me with a couple of things because I, I know that in baseball, sure. for example, you can do this kind of thing. I'm curious if you can do it in football. Uh, without getting too deep in the weeds on it, because, you know, you, I'm not smart enough. My eyes start rolling around in the back of my head. But if you want to make a deal for a player and you owe $12.5 million, could the Bengals say, based on what you just said, if another team's going to pick up 12 and a half, can the Bengals pay half of the 12 and a half? The other team pay, sure. and now you might expect to get something back in return as, as opposed to a team that takes on all 12 and a half. Can you do it that way? Sure. So let's say a team offers you know, a fourth rounder and they're willing to take all 12.6, but the Bengals wanted to pay part of that and, and, and eat some of that salary to get a second rounder instead. They could do that. And that's, that's the interesting part of this is Jonah's already accounted for. And so shedding the 12.6 sounds great, but imagine if you could shed 7.6 and get the 63rd pick in the draft. That's interesting. That's something I would be open to. And that's one of the many layers that goes into this. I think another part of it is if you're the Bengals and you're negotiating with Foster Moreau, let's say, or you're negotiating with some of these other free agents, maybe you're waiting to decide, and I'm sure you might ask me about Joe Mixon, but waiting to decide if you're going to be able to unload Jonah Williams before you finalize a deal with a guy like Foster Moreau. And, and you, maybe you know you're getting that deal done, but it's just a matter of who's going to go. Is it Jonah? Is it Joe? Is it both? Is it one? Are you restructuring Mixon? I think there's a lot of balls that are potentially in the air right now and a lot of uncertainty. So we'll see. I also could be, I also wouldn't be surprised if the Bengals are like, yeah, Jonah's our right tackle. We're not going to get anything of, of substance for him of what we value because I think they would have a second round pick asking price on him. Maybe I'm wrong on that. I'm purely speculating. But my thought is get a three for Jonah. And so if I value him as a for as a third round pick, I think the Bengals would move it up around and want a second round pick. I'm not sure if that's true, but that's how I, I think they would operate. Okay. I, I want to ask you, though, one more question about Williams because I've been highly critical of him uh, on this show ever <laughs> since the team signed Orlando Brown Jr. to be the left tackle and Williams promptly asking mm -hmm. for a trade. Now, this is a franchise yeah. that drafted him. Number one, they've paid him a lot of money. They're paying him $12.5 I know all of it doesn't come down to money, but I also understand Williams' standpoint. 
I've called the guy a gamer when he had the first knee injury. He didn't miss a snap. He came right back. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, he tried to play through it at the end. It didn't happen. That's fine. Guys get hurt. I get it. And I also get he wants to be paid like a left tackle instead of a right tackle. So he wants to continue playing left tackle. And this is the final year of his deal. Okay, that's all fine. Mm -hmm. But... Were you a little surprised that all of a sudden now you have a chance if you're Jonah Williams, you played in back-to-back, well, he didn't play, but you played, your team has played in back-to-back AFC championship games. You played in one Super Bowl, uh, and now by just moving over for one year to right tackle, you're giving your chance a team to potentially win a Super Bowl, and he wants out of town. Your thoughts on that? I was a bit surprised for a few reasons. One, Jawan Taylor... It was a right tackle, and he got paid to be a left tackle more than Orlando Brown, right? The, the four-year, $80 million deal. Mike McGlinchey, who's really comparable to a guy like Jonah Williams, not huge stature-wise, former first-rounder, all of those things. Was picked a few picks earlier and, and uh, what a year earlier, Mike McGlinchey was. But he got paid, too. It was a five years, $87.5 million to play right tackle. And if you're Jonah... That what a, an opportunity it is to prove yourself. And so that's why I think ultimately when it comes down to it, if the Bengals don't get what they're asking for, they're not going to just give Jonah Williams away because he has every reason in the world, not just 12.6 million reasons, but maybe 60, 80 million reasons. Because yeah. if he comes in and plays well, the best football of his career, Tom, which is sort of realistic. I know people are down on Jonah. He's 25 years old. He had that knee procedure to make sure that that, uh, his kneecap doesn't dislocate again and come out of place. And usually that's a pretty successful procedure. So let's say that happens. He'll be playing alongside Alex Kappa, who's by far the guy, the best lineman he would have played next to throughout his career. And he would be on the best line he's ever been on throughout his career. And he would be in a contract year. So yeah, you have to switch positions, but he was really versatile at Alabama. That's part of the... The reason why, if you're the Bengals, you bring him in 11th overall in 2019 is you could move him around. You felt like he could be a left tackle, but you could move him around. And so you make that switch, you play at a high level, and you are going to get paid. And so I, I think that he, if the worst case is make $12.6 million play on a contender, that's a pretty good worst case because you're going to, to have a, a chance to really cash in next offseason. I know that might not be what he wants, and I know his ego is probably saying, no, I'm a left tackle and I want to get paid like a left tackle. I get it. I understand it. At the same time, I think that he could really cash in next offseason if he plays well for the Bengals or for anyone this year. Well, you know, the other thing guys I think sometimes forget is, uh, look, we all know the NFL is a marketing machine. It is what it is. It's the king of the jungle, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, when your team starts playing deep in the playoffs, like the Bengals have done the last two years, potentially with a chance to do it again this year. And as you just Mm -hmm. point out, he goes over to right tackle, and I'm with you all the way. I haven't phoned it in on this guy. I mean, like you said, for all the reasons, right? He's tough. He cares. um, Mm -hmm. He's been a good player here. Not a great player, but a good player. But the marketing, as far as just, and I don't mean – marketing dollars but i'm just saying as far as getting yourself front and center playing in the biggest games whether it's during the regular season and the Bengals are going to be in prime time all the time again this coming year at least the max number you're allowed to be no doubt about that then the games in the playoffs would you know 
15, 20, 30 million people watching the game, whatever it might. Every team in the NFL, and, and Collinsworth and Aikman, all these guys are going to be talking about how great Jonah Williams is playing at right tackle. It's all right mm-hmm. there in front of them. So just say, I want to be here. I want to win a Super Bowl. And if you cut bait at the end of the year, you cut bait at the end of the year. All right. Um, let's get to And ultimately, I, I, I think that's what will happen if they don't move him. I think he will report, play, be in camp, all of those things. Okay. But if you were a betting man, is he here or gone when training camp starts? He's here. Okay. Uh, Joe Mixon. Now, this is another one for me where, you know, you hear everybody and his brother scream and get Mixon out of town, get Mixon out of town. And, okay, fine. Um, and everybody has their opinion, and they're entitled to their opinion. We're all about free speech here on the program. But um, <laughs> this guy has been a good player. At times, has been a great player for this franchise. I know you can go back and you can say, okay, well, last year in the championship game, P. Ryan got more snaps, better pass blocker, et cetera, et cetera. Mixon can run it. He can catch it. He may not be a great blocker. You can find somebody to block in certain third down situations if that's what you want to do. Um, you know, w- when you look at his situation, and, and help me here again a little bit, James, because you're the expert, I'm not. Um, mm-hmm. The Bengals go into the draft. Are they looking for a running back in the draft? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Regardless of Mixon. I think regardless of, of Joe Mixon and, and whether or not he's on the roster this year, you have Mixon, Travion Williams, Chris Evans. You lost a key part of your running back room with Samaj P. Ryan, and you need to get younger there. You, you just do. You know, Mixon was drafted in 2017 and he has logged a lot of carries and I had, had a lot of receptions, right? Was really good catching the ball out of the backfield last year. You need someone behind him. And even if you, you sign another veteran, I think that they will, will draft a running back partially because of the need roster-wise. And the other part of this is how deep and talented of a class this is. This is the time to cash in on a running back. And he might not start, which the Bengals have a history of doing. When they drafted Giovanni Bernard with the 38th overall pick, I want to say, but second round yeah. in, in 2013, well, he wasn't just the bell cow guy. They had Ben Jarvis Green Ellis for another year. In 2014, they draft Jeremy Hill. And a few years later, that had, had worn thin. But guess what? He was still on the roster for that fourth season. They didn't trade him to clear the way for Joe Mixon. He was still there. And so I think they like the idea of having a veteran and also having a young guy. And I think they wanted that to be some AJP ride. And he opted to go to Denver. And so it's going to be interesting to see what they do with Joe Mixon, if they keep him, uh, if they still uh, draft a, a running back, sign a different veteran to replace Mixon. I'm not sure how they do it, but they they certainly, I would be shocked if they don't draft a running back, and probably okay. pretty early, given their track record. Okay, well, but, but, but look, there are two things about Mixon here, okay? Uh, mm-hmm. I mentioned he's been a productive player. Uh, he uh, seems to be well-liked in the locker room. He's a player that plays with a lot of passion and a lot of fire and seems to genuinely care about how his teammates do. Uh, when he's on the field and in the locker room. We also know, while not officially in any major trouble off the field, there have been a couple of incidents here, so it seems like the Bengals hold almost all the leverage on this thing. 
You yeah. know Mixon. You've been around Mixon. You know the people in charge running the Bengals. Do you think when all is said and done, Mixon takes a pay cut and stays here for 2023? I think that would be wise. I think that would be best for all parties because as of now, even if Mixon is on the roster this year at his current number, which I, I still think is less likely than, than it is likely, that's it. It's a lame duck year. You will not be back in 2024. If you take a pay cut or are, you know, some kind of team-friendly restructure, which a lot of different things could happen, but a pay cut makes the most sense, which doesn't mean he wouldn't make the money that he's due, by the way, which I can get into in a second. If you do that, I think it gives you a chance to, to be in Cincinnati past the 2023 season. And what I mean by pay cut is the Bengals could, instead of him making bringing home $10 million this year, Say, let's lower this to $6 million. Your base salary is $6 million and give you a couple incentives if you rush for 1,100 yards and 10 touchdowns, which he did both of those things in 2021. Mm -hmm. If you do those things, you'll get $2 million for each and you'll get to that $10 million again. And it saves them cap room because it's an incentive-based deal that he didn't hit in 2022. So he's unlikely to, to hit those numbers technically because he didn't do it already right, this past season. So basically, they could split the difference almost, give Mixon a chance to earn everything that's coming to him and, and keep him around. And so there's certainly a path to him returning. The big question for me, Tom, it isn't Mixon the, the leader. It isn't Mixon the, the locker room presence or even the, the pass catcher or the runner. I like all of those things. I think he's still a really good player. We saw the five touchdown game, all of those things. But this is a Super Bowl contending team. This is a pass-first team that the past two years with the game on the line, Joe Mixon has been on the sidelines. Mm -hmm. And I think that has to do with pass blocking. So can you say, all right, 12, a $12.7 million cap hit for a guy that we can't get on the field when it is time to go win the game? Yep. That part is what I keep coming back to. I like Joe. People, fans think that, at least some, that it's some personal thing. It's not. I, I'm going to have to go look Joe in the eye after saying everything that I've said if he's still on the team. And I'm comfortable with that because I would love for him to be around. I just think when you look at the resources that, that they're giving to number 28, when you have guys like 85 and 9 and 55 looking for extensions and, and more coming next year, it's, it's tough to say that it's worth it. And so we'll see if they can work something out. It would be cool if they did. It would also be cool if he was able to, to become, take that next step as a pass blocker, which I think is the, the big reason why he hasn't been out there late in games. Well, I mean, physically, there's no reason he can't. I mean, to me, oh, I, no. I don't know if it's physically of, he's yeah, bigger than I, P. Ryan and absolutely. Yes. I mean, it, it's, it's, I think that has to be a question of want. Uh, I draw the analogy of do you want in basketball to guard somebody? Do you want to rebound? Uh, Mixon wants to carry it. He wants to catch it. He wants to win. But part of winning also is are, are, are you willing, is there the want to pass block and be good at it? Well, Hadn't shown it. Well, uh, Not yet, anyway. Yeah, real quick. I, I, think, I think the want might be there, too. It's hard. Mentally, it's tough. You might have every physical trait in the world and, and have the, the work ethic and all of those things, but this Bengals offense is not – this is not 2015 Bengals offense or 2018 Bengals offense where it's just one audible and that's it. 
you know, teams are trying to get after Joe and they're going to be creative and they know they're passing it. Joe Burrow, that is. And so pass blocking is is tough. And, and it, there's a, a huge mental aspect to it as well. Joined by James Rapine of Sports Illustrated's AllBengals.com and Locked on Bengals, a podcast he does. Uh, you'll always want to check those out. Um, okay, a couple more topics I want to cover here with you. Uh, knowing what we know about the Mixon thing, we've talked about that. Knowing what we know about the Jonah Williams thing, we're talking about that. Mm-hmm. Okay, you mentioned some of the extension stuff. Is, um, is and are all of those things affecting their ability to sign Moreau or another free agent tight end? I don't know. I, I, I think, well, one, no. They have the room right now. But they may want to get one of these moves done before inking Moreau. And, and maybe that's what it is. Because it just feels something's got to happen, right? It, it's felt like that for a few days now. And that seems like a perfect fit. A 25-year-old tight end that knows Joe Burrow joining a, a Super Bowl contender. And the Saints aren't that. I get there's familiarity there with Derek Carr. But the two teams in on Moreau seem to be the Saints and the Bengals. The tight end market is down. The past two tight ends that have played for the Bengals and started and played significant snaps have gotten paid. So if you're Moreau, maybe you just want a one-year deal with Cincinnati. Maybe you, they want a, a multi-year deal. I'm not sure. They have the money to, to sign him now. But maybe it is a comfort thing where they want some of these other you know, situations to work themselves out before. But I, I think it's such a perfect fit, Tom, because he's not going to break the bank to where you can't draft a tight end even as early as 28 in the first round. But he's going to give you a proven guy with some familiarity that could be entering his prime and and about to play his best ball to play alongside Joe Burrow. So if a cornerback is there at 28 or the right defensive player is there at 28, you know, defensive end or or defensive Mm -hmm. lineman, you don't have to reach for a tight end. Maybe you don't get a tight end until round four. And the Bengals realized how unpredictable it was drafting at the end of rounds last year. I think that was pretty frustrating for them in their war room. So to me, getting a guy like Moreau, it would calm things down a bit because I do expect a lot of tight ends to start flying off the board. It's hard to find guys that can run, catch, block, have the size, all of those things. And there's a bunch of them in this draft. And it wouldn't shock me if a a lot of them go before the Bengals can pick either 28th or 60th. And maybe they don't want to take a tight end that early anyway. So giving them Foster Moreau would certainly help in that department. All right. Um, Last thing for me, and Casey has a question for you here real quick. Um, Look, everybody and his brother does a mock draft. Uh, The one I read this morning was uh, from The Athletic. Um, And they have Dewan Jones uh, out of Ohio State, a right tackle, being chosen by the Bengals at 28. His name is frequently mentioned. Uh, a monster, 6'9", 335, whatever he is, maybe bigger than that. Uh, do mm-hmm. you think when all said and done, that's what they do? Or will that be predicated upon what happens between now and draft day with Jonah Williams? It's, it's interesting because I could totally see a scenario where the Bengals almost have an agreement in place but with, with Jonah and a potential destination. But they want to see if they get Jones or Darnell Wright. Or the Harrison, Anton Harrison. And, and, and those are the three where on draft night, let's say you get one of those guys at 28th. Well, now, of course, you're willing to move Jonah. And do they want to wait that long? I'm not sure. But that's certainly a possibility. I wouldn't rule that out. And you mentioned Jones. Can you imagine the marketing of the Twin Towers? Yeah. You got Jones at right tackle, 6'8", 6'9", Orlando Brown Jr., 
at left tackle. That that's the shirts, the the signs, the the posters they make themselves. But yeah, I think they would certainly be in on it. And of these tackles, I love Darnell Wright from Tennessee. You know, three hundred and thirty plus, or th- yeah, three hundred and thirty plus pounds. Tested great at the combine, played great. I think he'll be a plug and play right tackle. That said, I, I get people love Dewan Jones, and I, I think he'd be great as well. And uh, you know, if any of those guys there, Harrison Jones, right. I think it's tough to pass on any of those three because it's going to be really hard to find that type of prospect later in the draft. And if one of them are there at 28, it would make sense even if Jonah Williams is around in 2023 because it is a one-year deal. And I would be pretty surprised if he's back in 2024. Uh, Casey, you had something before we let James go. Yeah. Um, James, I just seeing what the market for the tight ends has become – with Gusecki yeah. getting a $9 million one-year deal, Schultz getting a one-year $9 million deal, um, Foster Moreau can't be too expensive for them to have already give him a contract, right? I mean, like, just logically thinking, I don't know what his value is, but it can't be more than $7 million a, a year, right? Like, And they have $17 million in cap space. I just don't understand why they haven't made – I get maybe wanting to wait for the move, to see where Jonah goes or if you have to cut Joe. I, it makes me think that maybe they've already got a plan for Joe Burrow and T. Higgins to maybe get those extensions done this year as well. I don't know if maybe that's and the same that, thought. Or... And that's the part of it with the cap space is that goes really quickly. It'll be like roughly $5 million for their rookie class right now in, in cap room. So that goes down to 14 quickly. You'll have – uh, a few other things. Basically, right now, I'd say they have right around, and my co-host on Lockdown Bengals, Jake Lisko, follows this much closer than I do, but just under 10. A- after things that are inevitable that are going to happen that aren't reflected right now, $10 million in cap room. But you're right, that's still room for Moreau. But that room goes quickly if you plan on extending Burrow in the near future, if you want to work something out with T. Higgins. And so that's the dilemma with a, a Jonah Williams clearing that money. It would make a lot of sense, and it would make it much easier and that's also the dilemma with, with Joe Mixon and bringing him back at his current number. And so you could free up a heck of a lot of money. I mean, if you traded Jonah and you just renegotiated with Mixon and, and saved $4 million on his cap hit, you're talking about 16 plus million, which would free up some things. So I know they're working. And it's, it's interesting that uh, nothing's happened over the past few days. So I think something will. And, and the Moreau, the fact that he's still out there is interesting. Does he want a one-year deal? Does he want a multi-year deal? I look at Hayden Hurst's, Hurst's contract with the Panthers, three years, roughly $21 million. I don't think the Bengals want to go up to $7 million per. I mean, Mike Kosicki was like $4.5 million guaranteed, and incentives will get him up to. Nine million if he hits those incentives with the Patriots. That was a pretty team-friendly deal. And so if the, the fact that the Bengals weren't in on him, Moreau makes a, a lot of sense to me, and, and maybe they can get a multi-year deal done. Because if they do that, then they can alleviate that cap hit this year and push it into next season and maybe the 2025 year. And then my last question is, if they do decide to trade Jonah and they get that $12 million, um, mm-hmm. is it just – then that they're going to probably re-sign or extend Joe and, and, and T? Or is there maybe another free agent out there that we just haven't thought of yet? I know it's kind of bare bones now that we're in kind of like the third wave, fourth wave here. But is there anyone else out there that maybe 
you heard of or any rumor mill, anything like that, that we're not thinking of besides Morrell? Yeah, I, th I think they certainly want to add a veteran tight end, but still keep an eye on running back. There was a reason they went after Samaj P. Ryan. They were reportedly interested on in Jamal Williams. Great pass blocking backs. There's not a ton out there now, but I would be surprised if they don't bring in a proven pass blocker, regardless of Mixon's future, regardless of the draft. Just makes sense to me that they do that. And maybe they trust Travion Williams to do it. I, I would be surprised if it's that cut and dry. And then the other spot is cornerback. Does Eli Apple return? He's still out there. That market is shaping up for him to be mm -hmm. you know, another one-year deal type guy. We'll see if, if that's the route they go. I could certainly see them re-signing another one of their own and bringing him back. So well, no, I, I think they'll add some pieces. You know, for my money, though, and I keep getting back to this, and, and look, you can't be perfect everywhere, but, I mean, you can cover up a lot of holes on the back end if you can get after the quarterback. And that was a major shortcoming of this team last year. And I don't know if there's that kind of guy out there um, or, you know. You know I the guy know. I would want? The guy I would want. And they, they're just anti over 30 at this stage. They've just had bad luck with those guys. So they just kind of stay away from it, which doesn't surprise me much. But Calais Campbell visited the Falcons yesterday. And you're talking about a 6'8 monster yep. that can just play. He's 36. Yep. But he can play on the interior of that defensive line. He won't cost a lot. And I know they're spending a lot of money on that defensive line already, but if you could get him, I think he could make a big play or two in a playoff game and be a difference maker. And that's and what you're leader, talking about And a now. great leader, well-liked wherever no he's doubt. been, right? I mean, this no would doubt. be a perfect locker room. That's a great name. That's a perfect locker room fit for what they're looking for around here because he is top shelf on the field and off the field. All right, James, we uh, thank you as always for your generous time. Have a great rest <laughs> of your day, and thanks again. Of course. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. James Rapine, we thank him so much. He brings incredible insight to this program. And, and I tell you what else is happening here, fellas. And I, you know, I had um, this, I had somebody tell me this, uh, who is a sports talk show host in Cleveland, Ohio. Four or five years ago, I went on a show when we were up there and uh, during baseball season, he said, man, he said the Cleveland Indians, which they are every year, could be in contention. They could be in first place, right? They could be uh, winning whatever it was they had a couple of years ago, 18, 19, 20, 21 games in a row they won, right? Right. He said nobody calls. Nobody cares. You bring up the Cleveland Browns, every flown line lights up. So here we are in March Madness. Here we are eight days away from the start of Major League Baseball. Here we are the morning after the WBC championship game, whatever that means or doesn't mean. The second we start talking about Cincinnati Bengals, we have 250-plus people that are tuned into this show. Like the video, everybody. Like the video. Like the video, like the video, like the video. Like, share. Like, the video. I'm talking to all of you. I'm looking at the camera. Like the video. And like it. We're still going to be talking a little bit about Bengals here as well. So if you're here for the Bengals talk, stick around. We're still going to talk about it a little bit longer. Um, mainly, we're going to just talk about the free agents that are left available. Um, some of the research that I did. Um, Tom, do you want to just jump right into it right now? Some of the guys that are available that Bengals might be interested in? Well, you know, I, I, 
Okay, I, I look at their team on offense, and I say to myself, they've got to bring Mixon back here. And I might be in the minority of this thinking. They have got to find a way to get him back here. He's a leader. He cares. He knows the franchise. He knows the system. He knows everybody involved. A lot of people are down on him, and I get it. I totally get it. But for me, if you want to win the Super Bowl this year, I'm not putting my trust in Travion Williams. I'm not putting my trust on some guy I draft in the second or third round. I'm not doing it. And there aren't enough running backs left out there that even wet my whistle. I was all in on Jamal Williams. I'd have taken him. Tough runner in the red zone. I would shave down his contract. He'd be in mixing. I would find out what Ezekiel Elliott is looking for in free agency. He is a great, not good, great pass blocker. Arguably the best pass blocking running back that's been in the NFL, and without a doubt, the biggest star running back in the NFL when it comes to pass blocking. It's a matter of what. Ezekiel Elliott does it. The other thing Elliott gives you that they didn't have last year was in the red zone, being able to run the ball, which is what Zach Taylor wants to do. Elliott can do it, and he scores touchdowns. I'm bringing Mixon back. If I can get Elliott for $2 million, Get Mixon down to five, okay? I'm getting two guys. If I can get Elliott for two and a half, three, get Mixon to five, that's less than the 10 I'm paying Mixon now for two guys for $8 million. And you've got covered everything you want. You got a guy that can run it. You got a guy that can run it in short yardage. You got two guys that can really catch it. Mixon and Elliott are great receiving running backs. They're not good. They're great receiving running backs. And now you have a pass-blocking running back who's not afraid to meet a linebacker coming on a blitz and knock his head off. That's what I would do. I don't get wrapped up in the tight end thing around here. A lot of people, they want to... Look, they got hearse for next to nothing. You can find another guy out there without paying a tight end seven or $8 million a year the tight end is not going to be the number one option, the number two option, the number three option. I would argue the number four option because you've got to run it somewhere in there. Yeah. Okay, you can find that guy. For me, at the end of the day, if I ran the Bengals, right, I'd find out from Jonah Williams, you're going to play or you're not going to play. You all in on right tackle or not? Right? I'm going right. to find that out. I love James's idea, which I've not heard before, about – having a deal in place for him to another team and wait and see where you are, who's available in the draft. Because if you can't get DeWan Jones or you can't get any of the guys he just mentioned, Wright, Harris, and so forth, then, hey, too bad, Joni, you're playing right tackle. You want to sit out? Go sit out. Twelve and a half million bucks. Yeah. And then you move it. Um, to me, the reason the Bengals – lost the Super Bowl two years ago is because the other team had a great pass rusher and a dominant, dominant figure along the defensive line in Aaron Donald. The reason they lost the AFC championship game last year is because there was a dominant player on the Chiefs defensive line in Chris Jones. 
Now, they've addressed the offensive line in blocking those guys. I want to have one of those guys. DJ Reader's an outstanding player. He's good against a run. He's invisible in the pass. I mean, at the end of the day, you can say, oh, pressure's on. That's fine. Okay, Hubbard and Hendrickson can't do it. They can't do it. They're good players. I love having them on my team. I don't want them going to another team. But they are not game changers when it comes to getting to Josh Allen, when it comes to getting to Patrick Mahomes, when it comes in your division to getting Lamar Jackson, to getting to Sean Watson. They're not those guys. So for me, I'm looking for money. I'm looking for somebody to come in here and be a difference maker or perhaps tie up more blockers like he said Campbell. I love Campbell. You have Campbell and, and, and Reader on the interior right there. Now all of a sudden, you got to account for two monsters there and maybe Hubbard and Hendrickson get to the quarterback. Maybe Osai becomes that guy. I think we're talking a lot about offense around here, and I don't think offense is the problem. And we've said that before on this show, that this team, the focus has got to change to this being a, a defensive team. They, the defense has carried this team time and time again, and it's the one that's going through the most change. Out of all, out of all the different positions, defense, defensive line is staying the same, but you know, your safeties, they kind of sealed that up. They re-signed Pratt. So they've gotten a little consistent, but the idea is to get better. This pass rush, it's good, but it's not getting home. No. It's not it's it's creating pressure, but it's not getting home. And that's part of the reason why I think most people would agree with you, Tom. They're just not a difference maker on this defensive line. Trey Hendrickson's probably the closest. And he's not really produced the same since he first got here. And I know he was hurt. Maybe that might have something to do with it. But could you imagine just that extra little juice? If you even got the same type of pass rusher like a Hendrickson, or if you even got a second Osai to sub in there for Hubbard, this defense would be renewed. It would be changed. It would add that spark that you could finally start getting home on some of these very important drives. I mean, Mahomes is the perfect example. He has adapted so well to the Bengals' play style. He's able to move around the pocket, not get down too deep, and just avoid the pressure and then make the throw where he needs to make it. He was really bad at it at first. Really bad at it. And over time, he's gotten better and better and better. And eventually, teams will know that we can't get home. And with the secondary being as, you know, un unknown as it is right now, we don't know how the safeties are going to play. And with Awuzie coming off of an ACL injury, I'm, I'm a little nervous. I'm right there with you, Tom. I think if it were up to me, I would go find the best pass rusher I can right now. And I don't know if he's out there, quite honestly, uh, because, you know, I, I, I just don't know if the guy's there, and you're not going to – it's what every team wants, and you're not going to find that guy in the draft. I mean, you might find lightning in a bottle and find, draft some guy down near the end of the first round, second round. He turns out to be, you know, Jason Pierre-Paul or somebody, right? right? I mean, who knows? I'm just pulling his name out of the hat. I don't GPP. know why I thought him. Yeah. 
he was hell of a player for a long time. What do you think about all that? You know, now I get people. Look, when I say we're getting too wrapped up in offense here, I want to make sure make sure I clarify what I'm saying here because I don't want anybody to misunderstand me. The offensive line was the number one thing that needed to be addressed. And in my opinion, they're good there. They're good. Would you guys have been happy with the offensive line even if they didn't go out and get Orlando Brown? No. No, I wouldn't have. Been. No way. But I feel much more comfortable knowing that we we've got pretty much all four positions except for the right tackle spot figured out. And it could be as simple as not trading Jonah Williams away and he's just going to have to deal with it. And he's not the type of guy that's going to play not play all the way. He, he's he's not like that. I mean the dude played through a dislocated knee. Yep, he did. He's a tough guy now. He's tough. He's I, tough. I think he would be up for the challenge. I don't know him personally, but just from what I've seen on the field, I mean, it makes sense. Well, I just I go back to last season when we talked so much about how well the offensive line played down the stretch. And Yes, I know the guys got hurt, and then in the postseason, it didn't pan out the way that they all hoped it would. But now that they have Orlando Brown, it's a, it's a complete game changer retroactive to, you know, what we talked about back in December when, you know, if you think back to the first couple of weeks of the season and we're sitting there going, hold on, did this offensive line get worse than it did last year? Did it did, – did we take a step back? Did it get worse? And then you just needed to play together a little bit. That's right. Get, get down the stretch to December. They started playing a lot better. And that's why I posed the question to you guys. Do you guys think that even if they hadn't gotten Orlando Brown, if – the crew that they had in December was all healthy next year. If that would have been serviceable enough and they could have spent their money elsewhere, I think that it's well spent on Orlando Brown. But I was just curious to hear your guys' thoughts. I, I, I really like this question posed in the chat by um, Andrew. Andrew says, honestly, right? Says, are the Bengals better now than at the end of last year? This is a legitimate, thought-provoking question. We said on this program all the time that when it got down to nut-cutting time the last two years, and you can give me a thousand reasons why, and if you just wanted to give me two, that's fine, too, and Aaron Donald and Chris Jones. The ballyhooed offense of the Cincinnati Bengals was given every chance on the planet by the defense to win the Super Bowl and to win the AFC Championship game. The defense bailed them out all the time. Burrow was given the ball, this ballyhooed offense, was given the ball in the Super Bowl, a couple different drives. AFC Championship game, was it four or five drives? All you needed to do was kick a field goal. They couldn't do it. So now all of a sudden, you say to yourself, okay, well, on the offensive line, we know we're better than last year just on paper because you got Orlando Brown, okay? You know that already. Um, and, and you can't foresee injuries. And I'm not talking about the Bengals team that ended last year. I don't think that's a question you were asking, Andrew. I'm talking about if they had all five of those offensive linemen that started 15 games in a row. Might it have been a different game of the championship? Perhaps. Offensively, right now as we sit here today, they are far better on the offensive line 
They are not as good on offense because, quite frankly, they don't have a single tight end in the room. There's nobody on the roster. Mixon's still here, so I'm not putting his situation in flux. He is still a member of the Bengals. On defense, you've let your two safeties walk out the door in Jesse Bates and Von Bell. There is no way the two guys that you have replaced them with are anywhere close to being as good as Jesse Bates and Von Bell. Your secondary on the corners is nowhere near what you were for most of last year. Eli Apple's out the door right now. You could bring him back. Awuzie's coming back from an ACL. Hilton's a year older. And on the defensive line, you got the same cast of characters. Are the Bengals better today than they were at the end of last year? Casey, your thoughts? Um, yeah, I mean, that's it's really hard to, to know for sure. My, because I haven't seen it, my answer is no, Tom. They're not better than they were last year because their defense is is changed significantly, and that might be the 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 lame downer mentality. But it's really tough, honestly, to to make that call. Um, I would say that they've gotten maybe maybe their break even because they got a little bit better on offense. I think they got a little worse on defense. And I just did a little research here about Samaje here and how we've been clamoring for a guy that can pass protect at running back. He only had 66 snaps in pass blocking attempts. Or like he only had 66 pass blocking plays out of the whole entire season, which if you want to look at just how many plays the Bengals had last season – they had 1,298 plays, 864 pass blocking attempts. So we're literally talking about a fraction. Do you mean to tell me of the number of plays, if I just heard you right, you mean to tell me the Bengals threw the ball 75% of their offensive snaps last year? Did I hear you right? Yes. That's- I don't do math in public, but I can figure out what 800 is in relation to 1,200. Is that what you're telling me? That is what I'm telling you. Okay, go ahead. There's an issue in and of itself. You wonder why your quarterback's getting killed? Go ahead. Well, all I'm saying is, and that that includes the playoffs. That's not just the regular season. But regardless, I'm just saying that that is a fraction, a very small fraction. And I know it, it is part of the offense, but there are much bigger problems to solve like the safeties, like maybe getting a second corner. You don't know what a woozy is going to be like. Um, tight end. I'm bringing Apple I mean, back. Yeah, I'm bringing you're, Apple you're back too. Eli Apple guy. No, I just think the guy for, for when you talk about value now, I mean, if he comes back again on a one-year deal for four or five million bucks, I mean, that's your fifth DB. When everybody's healthy. Or 6 DB when everybody's healthy, right? 
you'd have a two safeties, you'd have Hilton in a slot, you'd have a Wuzier on one side, and you would have uh, Taylor Britt on the other side. Right? Yeah. Okay. I mean, are you kidding me? Veteran guy who's been through the wars? I'll take that guy. The uh, Just to also mention this as well, the Chiefs were very similar in that they also had 1,300 snaps and 893 of those were in pass, pass attempts. So very similar numbers to the Bengals. However, I don't think that should justify anything. I mean, this team needs to be more balanced. When, when they're balanced, they're at their greatest, if you ask me. Um, just answering some of the questions in the chat here about that. Um, well, I just don't want to hear based. If I heard you right yeah. and you confirmed that I heard you right, if that's true, I never want to hear Zach Taylor talk again about being a balanced offense. Because 75-25 ain't close to balance. No. And now, you play to your strengths. Okay. They got one of the best quarterbacks, maybe the best, second best quarterback in the NFL. Okay. And they've got these great fleet of wide receivers. There's no doubt about it. Uh, and they had a hard time running the ball last year. So, you know, look, you play to your strengths. I get the play calling. Zach's a play caller. That's fine. But 75% is just too much. It, it, it's as opposed to, say, 65 Right? 35, maybe. Okay? I mean, if you got down to 60-40, even better. Because now you're, you're letting your, your offensive line come off the ball, hit people instead of being in retreat mode all the time. You take f fewer chances with your quarterback getting hit. You got to be able to run it. You got to be able to run it. And um, I think a big major step in that department was getting Orlando Brown. Yeah, I agree with you. You got to get bigger. And that's another reason why I've been clamoring Dewan Jones. And just like <laughs> Rapine said, the marketing there, the just having the biggest two left tackle or just tackles in general in the league, it can't be understated. I mean, this team could be and would be very balanced if they just got bigger and they were able to push defensive lines around. Yep. So, I mean, we've talked about it at nauseum now at this point, and we've gone, gone around in a little bit of a circle here. But to just recap or just put a little bow on this, what, are your, what do you think the Bengals should do at this current moment? What is – if you're – I just told you what I would do. I just said it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clean up the running back room a little bit. I don't know what anybody's saying in here about Ezekiel Elliott being a cancer on his team. Ezekiel Elliott's never been a cancer on his team. I think he's he the leader of his team. He right? didn't come out and bitch and moan when Pollard was getting a bunch of carries instead of him this year. He didn't do that. He's played through incredible injuries the last two years. You couldn't get the guy out of the lineup. And I'm not saying it because he's an Ohio State guy. This guy gives you exactly what this team did not have, or they had it with P. Ron, and they've lost it now with P. Ron being gone. He's excellent. Elliott is a great pass-blocking running back, and he is a great short yardage. You want to get the ball into the end zone. There's a reason why you, you, you see you're seeing this stuff all the time, because he's in the end zone. And, 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 and Mouse Cop, this isn't Ohio State um, 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 
bias here. It has nothing to do with it. I'm looking to address a team need. You got a guy that's cheap. You got another guy in Mixon that's been a good back. If I could have my two backs in the room for under $8 million, instead of paying one guy 10 I feel good about it. I'm not going to put a whole lot of stock in the tight end thing. I'm not. If you can get a good player on a good deal, one-year deal, I thought the Schultz deal was a great deal for the Texans. One year into, what, $9 million? Yeah. All right, you get one year, Moreau, $7 million. Fine. That's fine. But I'm going to make sure my – now that I've addressed the offensive line, I'm going to make sure that this, this defense is what it was the last two years. That defense the last two years was good enough to win the Super Bowl. The offense was not good enough to win the Super Bowl the last two years. And people around here think that means you're saying something bad about Joe Briss. Not what I'm saying. The defense gave the offense multiple chances to win the Super Bowl and then last year win the AFC Championship. This team's strength last year, maybe not the stars, maybe not the commercial deal, Maybe not the marketing deal. The defense gave the offense a chance to win, and the offense didn't win. Period. All right, we got a lot of college basketball to talk about. Yes, we do. So we're going to take a timeout. We'll come back. We'll watch our viewers. (laughs) (laughs) Ham and Eggers take it away. (laughs) It's that time of the show, the Ham and Eggers. These guys are great. Trust me. I would know. I introduce all the best segments. Well, while we still have those viewers, like the video, everybody. Seriously, we are 19 likes away from 200. I jokingly said in the chat, I don't think we have ever had 200 likes on the same show. So make sure you go in there and like the show. Uh, We're so close, so close, so close. Go in there like the show. Um, All right. Casey. Yeah. Thoughts. My concluding thoughts to wrap up the Bengals report brought to you by Encore Technologies. That's right. Um, I think the Bengals, they have holes to fill, but I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not panicking at all. I think they are in a really good spot, especially with the Jonah Williams rumors that a lot of teams are interested in and the potential for it to be a I'm not laughing at you at, a, at the chat. Go ahead. At a premium pick, which is like your top three, you know, first, second, third round picks. Those are your premium picks, top one hundred picks usually. If you could get a third for Jonah, you get seven, eight million dollars off your books. I mean, you're in a really good spot for the Bengals, regardless if you don't get Moreau. I mean, you could double dip in the draft at that point. You're not, you're not forced to do anything. Um, and to kind of also just about the Mixon thing, I think we're done with the potential of cutting him. It's either you restructure, renegotiate the contract, or you stay the course of what it is because the dude's been a leader on this team. There's not really a good enough running back out there that makes sense. I mean, do you really want, really asked me, do you really want Ezekiel Elliott or do you want Joe Mixon? I'll take Joe Mixon. Do you really want Kareem Hunt? No, I, I'd rather take Joe Mixon. So, 
I think the running back market is pretty bare bones. Um, just go draft a guy in like the fifth, seventh, sixth round, you know, just something where you're just taking a, a flyer on a guy. And, you know, that is what it is. So we're going to now start talking about college basketball. Um, Sweet 16. Reed Mouth is the only guy on the planet that says we, we need to talk more baseball on this show. Oh, Lord. Believe me, we got six months of that coming up. <laughs> That'll be fun. So if we get 200 likes on this video, Tom. Uh, well, I'm, we're not going to get it now. Yeah, we are. We're no, seven we're not. Away. We're not going to get it now. We're seven away. We're over nope. 200 people. No, nope. He is challenging this chat. We are so close. 200. We only need seven more. He doesn't believe in this chat. Zachary Murray, I am angry because we're so close to 200. Come we're on. so close. We got to hit that number. Like we gotta get that. the video. Helps us out. Share it. We're going to smash 200. Like Smash it. It's not going to happen. And when we get Because our numbers are already dying. When we the get second we start talking about college basketball and baseball. And I love college basketball. I can't wait for this topic today. This has been a lot of research from all of us here today. This is fun. All right, this let's get into stuff. it. All right, Paul, tell everybody what we're going to do here. Yeah, so this was, this was Casey's idea yesterday. Casey wanted us to uh, go over our top five coaches left in the uh, tournament. And then the top five teams that we had we probably should have done like four because there's only 16 but we'll go with five um five our top five teams left that we have uh in the tournament that aren't like alabama and houston right, right. that could uh make some noise here Dark this horses. weekend yes we don't want to say cinderella's because really the only cinderella left is princeton so well i guess you could say fau but they've had a good year they just don't have the name brand so here's what we're gonna do we have a list casey made the graphics board here uh, we are going to go over our top five. And we hit 200, by the way. Yeah, we did, baby. That's 200. Way to go, chat. That's 200. That's a nice job. Tom, you, that everybody. means now Thank you got to watch all the NIT games tonight. Well, UC's playing tonight, right? UC I failed to mention them in the open. They're playing tonight, so I, I might check that game. There's nothing else on tonight, right? 9 o'clock, ESPN Although two. I'm in season five of Breaking Bad. Oh, my God. You've been watching it and you haven't said and anything. My wife's been out of town for a week with our daughter. I mean, you know. Where Our son has lacrosse practice every night from 7 to 9 o'clock. So I got a little free time around the house. Me and the dogs, you know, have been dialed in a Breaking Bad. Let's go. The first four seasons were phenomenal. The fifth season, the first two episodes, very shaky. I mean, the bad guy's dead. Oh, oh just give it a minute. Just give it a minute. The, okay. The All fifth, right. Okay. The, the fifth, it's the final season. The fifth season, this is the best ending Okay, any all right, TV well, I'm show. looking forward I'm... to it because the first episode and uh, the first two episodes have been shaky at best. No, no, don't, don't worry. Okay, it, all right, because it's been a great show. Oh, hasn't it? Yes, it has. All right, here we go. Where are we starting? Let's start with the coaches. Start right. with the coaches, and Casey, you go first. Your top five co – and this is hard to do, okay? This is really hard to do because, I mean, these are all really good coaches to have your team in the Sweet 16 – it's hard oh, yeah. to do this, to win two games in a tournament. But, Casey, we begin with you. Yeah, so I'm starting off with Tom Izzo. The dude just – he's got a track record, man, and he just always seems to get his team, Michigan State, by the way, to very far deep into this tournament. Um, he's <laughs> my number one. And then Calvin Sampson, Houston, yep. he, he's also just 
one of those guys that can I interrupt it, real quick. What is that picture? <laughs> that's my uh, Twitter profile picture. Okay, I, go put, ahead. I put all of our Twitter profile okay, pictures. All in right, there. go ahead. Um, <laughs> hope you all enjoy that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Kelvin, he's also just one of those guys that I couldn't imagine not putting him in my, at least my top two. He's got this Houston team at number one. Um, yeah, he's done a really good job this season. He has done it with multiple teams. He's my number two. Mark Few for Gonzaga. Gonzaga just, I don't think there's been a season where they've not made it into the NCAA tournament. They've been to him. eight straight Sweet 16s. Yeah, I mean. Seven he, straight, maybe eight. He's just got it going on. Um, Mick Cronin, he, he's also up there. Um, I don't have much to say about him, but he did get his UCL, UCLA team to a second seed. And I think uh, a couple he, – he's been to it, I think, three or four times in a row, the, the tournament. I can't remember off the top of my head. But then my fifth guy, Eric. Musselman. Musselman. Yep. Um, Big leaguer, this is no his doubt. Third time in the Sweet 16 with Arkansas. Third in a row. Third in a row, and he's also got a a, a background with the NBA, coaching the NBA, and it's yep. not very great. But you know, the dude can coach if he can coach in the NBA at least. So, yeah, I, right outside is Sean Miller. Um, it was actually kind of a debate. I I just think Eric is up and coming and wanted to show uh, a little love to him. So those are my top five. All right. Okay, you up next, Paul? Go ahead. All right, let's fire it up here, Casey. Here's my top five. Uh, I'm going to go with Izzo one. This comes from the Clinton uh, um, uh, we're sitting on the fence waffling list. Go ahead. So I'm going to go Izzo one, Samson two, Few three, Miller four, Cronin five. Um, These are the teams left in the tournament. Yes, Um, yes. Again, because, you know, Bill Self obviously would be in a tier and a class of his own if, if Kansas was still in this. So I looked at this a couple of different ways. I tried to combine overall tournament success with um, in-game coaching. So if you got down to the final two minutes of a game, who would you want on your sideline? Mick Cronin and Sean Miller, what both of them have done to rejuvenate their career, turn around their career in a sense of adapting to the modern game. Look at what Mick Cronin has done since leaving UC, going out there within two years, had UCLA back in the Final Four. I don't think you can say anything else more about Mark Few. Casey already touched on that. Kelvin Sampson, all he's done is win. He is running maybe the best program in the country right now. I don't want to hear anything about his time at Indiana. That is such a tired take from what happened with him at Indiana. That is so long ago. And if you really dig into it, what does it even matter anyway? That He got hosed at Indiana. That's tired. I'm, I'm sick of hearing about all of that controversy. Give me Kelvin Sampson and then Tom Izzo at the top. I know the Big Ten hasn't won a, a title in two decades, but you can't argue with the fact that he just continuously wins in the tournament. He gets it done. They just beat Marquette, who won the biggest regular season title and the conference tournament title. Um, Of the teams left in the tournament, those are the guys I would go with. Um, Sean Miller has won, I think, eight straight round of 32 games. If you get him into the round of of 32, he wins. Um, I know he's been upset in the first round, uh, especially even looking back at his his time at Arizona. You know, you look at – 
um, Xavier beating them in the Sweet 16. You look at uh, Buffalo beating Arizona in the Sweet in the first round. Um, I I uh, I can listen to Jerome Tang. I'm not as high on Musselman as you guys are, although I will say he has two lottery picks on his team this year. He can recruit. He's been to three straight Sweet 16s. Um, I don't want to say I guess I'm out on him. I, I guess I'm just more in on these other coaches more so um, than Musselman. But I certainly all these coaches left. Uh, there's a reason they're in a Sweet 16. Um, but, uh, that yeah, so that's that's my list. Okay. Um. All right, here's mine. Uh, and I had a hard time with this like everybody else did. Izzo, without a doubt, number one. Uh, Kelvin Sampson, many believe that you point out, Paul, along with, uh, in fact, it was recently a poll that was done. Uh, they interviewed a number of head coaches around college basketball and asked them who they thought the best in-game coach in college basketball, who they are. Self was number one, and Sampson was number two. Uh, Izzo just has a track record. I mean, he just, he just gets it done. I got Musselman three. I, I look at Arkansas and I say, you point out, Paul, you know more about this stuff than I do, um, that, you know, he, 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 in my opinion, he is at a program that is not even considered to be when it comes to just straight recruiting. To me, I don't think people think about Arkansas as being a top three, four team, even in the SEC. Oh, not saying they haven't been, but I'm saying when you just look at the ability to, and I, and I think this is due to shortcomings with other coaches in the league. Florida is a much more attractive basketball school than Arkansas. Yeah, no doubt. Right? Yeah, I would push back a little bit, though, on the fans' perception of, of Arkansas because I do think Arkansas is a much better program than people realize. I would still say that, you know, taking people would take the Florida job or you'd take, obviously, the Kentucky job, Tennessee, some those names more so than in Arkansas, but the people of Arkansas love, they do love Arkansas. And, and I made this argument the other day. I'm not going to sit here and be the one to say that an sec school is a basketball school over a football school. But if there is a school that is a basketball school over a football school in the sec, when you think of these power, cause Kentucky is besides a yeah, Ken, Kentucky right, is a basketball right, right, school. Right. But if you're looking at these teams and, and maybe waffling back and forth, Arkansas is a team that you could say those people are fanatic for their basketball. No doubt about it. Okay. Uh, the other two, and, and I want to make sure that I explain about the separate few. I mean, look, what he's done at Gonzaga is just incredible. Yeah. Uh, he's still got to win the big one. Now, it came down to me for Cronin and Miller uh, for who would be fifth. And the only reason that I took Cronin over Miller was because of this. One, I think Cronin plays better, much better defense year after year. I think that, that they can beat you in more ways, his teams, traditionally, although they've been short on offense, and that's certainly not the case for Miller. But here's the thing. Here's the reason why. Um, Thad Mata was the predecessor as a head coach at Xavier before Miller got there. And look, People talk a lot about the great Xavier coaches. If you're just looking for a guy who won games, Thad Mata was 78-23 and 23 in his short tenure at Xavier. That is a winning percentage for Thad Mata of 772. So 
he walks out the door and Sean Miller takes over a program, a program that had won 77% of its games before Miller took over, okay? Miller has done a great job there. There's no doubt about it. Um, and, 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 and I love Sean Miller as a coach. I say it here virtually every day. Cronin for me, but the, so then Miller goes to Arizona. And I was, Paul and I were talking about this before the show. I look at Arizona as being the same. I lived out there for almost uh, 13 years. Arizona is Kentucky. Arizona is Duke. Arizona is North Carolina. Now, maybe not for the long haul in terms of 40, 50, 60, but the last 30, 35 years since Lute Olson left Iowa to take over Arizona, Arizona is a blue blood in every way there is in college basketball. Just like UCLA is a blue blood in college basketball. Sean Miller was at Arizona for a long time. He won a ton of games. He never got to a Final Four. Not once. With all the talent on the planet. Mick Cronin takes over a blue blood. He took over UC in complete disarray. The whole Bob Huggins thing, right? All the animosity. Fans, half of them, wanted nothing to do with the program. Nancy Zimper's running around town. Um, Andy Kennedy comes in. Uh, and now Mick comes in, right? I mean, they are down and out. He gets him to the NCAA tournament. Granted, didn't win much in the tournament. That was a knock on Cronin. But UC made a terrible mistake not bringing him back. It will go down as one of the three greatest mistakes ever made in the history of a very proud basketball program, that they didn't appreciate one of their own enough to keep him. Well, UCLA's glad they got it because the second he goes to a blue blood, they go to the Final Four. First year out of the gate, and Cronin takes him to the Final Four. Now here they're knocking on the door again. So that was the only thing that separated for me. I think you could flip a coin at the end of the day as to which one's a better coach between Miller and Cronin. Sure. Is and that fair? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think it's absolutely fair. And I'm, I may be mistaken, but isn't Izzo the only one out of that entire – our entire list so far that has won a – Championship. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah, even in the tournament right now. Kel, yeah, now that you say that, Casey, that's Yeah, I point. think he's the only one. And, and the other guy, the other guy uh, that we left off that list, and I think all of us would agree, Larry Nega. Yeah. I mean, he took George <laughs> Mason to a Final Four. God, that was electric. Right? I loved that team. I've told you that. I lived right next to George Mason, and – I went to those games all the time. I remember that year, how special that was. They went to the Final Four. They That regional was in D.C., so it was all George Mason. I how mean, it cool was, was that? awesome. Awesome that year. 2006, went to the Final Four. Um, and actually, George Mason's coach right now, Kim English, is about to become the coach at Providence to replace Ed Cooley. But, uh, yeah, Larinaga, you know – we sit here and we talk about these coaches and we talk about programs and building a program, whatever. Not often do we bring up Larinaga's name, but you know what is often? It's oftentimes that Larinaga is hanging around in the NCAA There's tournament. There's no doubt about He's it. He's always there. He's always there. And where are they right now? They're in the Sweet 16 with a chance to beat Houston to go to the Elite Eight. They're always there. 
Larinaga is a heck of a coach. Mouse Cop is is livid. What's he livid about? I mean, he's livid that he's- uh, that I did not have uh, uh, Sean Miller. My t- <laughs> I just said, I just said, hey, Mouse Cop, listen, and Andy, I mean Alex, listen, nobody, including Paul, he would admit this. Nobody says more good things about Sean Miller than I do. Nobody. As a coach. Nobody says more good things on a regular basis on the show than I do. Musselman uh, at three is wild. Okay. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. I think he's up and coming. I mean, when you make it to three straight in a row, sweet 16s. Pretty good. Yeah. It's pretty Pretty good. good. It's pretty good. All right, are we ready to move on to our dark right, Now we're going to, now this is, I want to make sure that I, I clarify uh, what we did here. We each picked five teams that, uh, we said earlier, there are really only two Cinderella's left in this whole thing. Okay, Florida Atlantic and Princeton. They're, they're the only, I don't consider Michigan State as a seven, a Cinderella. They're Michigan State. Okay, but they're a seven seed. Nobody thought they'd be here playing in the Sweet 16. Um, okay. This is to get to the Final Four. This isn't to win the national championship. And look, we try to take, take everything into consideration here when we did this. Most notably, the path to get there to the Final Four. Right? Who you have to beat in the Sweet 16, who conceivably you'd have to beat in the Elite Eight. Paul, we start with you this time. Sure, let's, let's go here. Um, these are my five. I, I tried not to be a homer here. I didn't put Xavier on the list. Um, Xavier probably has the toughest road to get to the Final Four of any, of any team here. Uh, I mean, Princeton, maybe, I guess, if you, if you want to say Princeton. But if we're talking about you know, protected seeds... Um, I think Creighton, if we were going to rank these top to bottom, my answer would probably be Creighton because all Creighton has to do is beat a 15 seed. And then, I mean, I guess all you'd have to do then would be to beat Alabama. But they have the easiest Creighton, first game here. Creighton by far has the easiest first game and then would have basically one game to get to the Final Four. Mm-hmm. Um Gonzaga is going to have a tough test here because they're going to have to get through probably UConn, but maybe not. Gonzaga and UConn are right there to play each other. Um, Tennessee, see, I I looked at their offense here, and they're going to go up to uh, – they are going to be at Madison Square Garden. They don't have necessarily the toughest road because they're going to have to get through – I mean, that's – Michigan State, that's Florida Atlantic, uh, Kansas State. So um, I I think there is an argument here if you want to talk about dark horses where Creighton and Xavier probably are are the two, I guess, dark horses where Xavier would be playing the toughest and most challenging road. But I didn't put them up there. You're looking at Creighton, a team that basically you got to beat Princeton and then one more team to get to the Final Four. So that's my list. All right, if you had to pick one of those, we'll play this game. Yeah. So of those of those that are up there that you just put up. Yeah. Which one put them back up there? Which one do you like most to get to if you had to pick one? Yeah. 
you had to pick one to get to the final four of that uh, quintet, who are you picking? Oh, Creighton. Easy. Okay. Easy answer there. Because they – look, no disrespect to pro, uh, to to Princeton here because it takes a heck of a game to beat Missouri and Dennis Gates and that whole crew to get – and they demolished them too. Yeah, they did. So I don't want to necessarily overlook uh, Princeton, but I am in the sense that you now have five days to get ready for this – or four days, I guess they're going to play tomorrow – Four days to get ready for this game. I think it's tomorrow. I think they're I think they're Thursday, Saturday, uh, to get ready for this game, and then um, then you're basically talking about winning one more game. I say Creighton's my answer. Okay, Casey. All right, so Let's just start with your five. Yeah, um, I got UConn. Uh, I think uh, that that to me is the biggest one. Just if you're going to ask me that same question, I'm going to say UConn. Um, Michigan State. Um, we already talked about Tom Izzo. He just seems to get it done, and I think that's the easiest side of the bracket currently. That's why I also have FAU on that side too. Um, I don't really trust in Tennessee. I, I never did throughout, throughout the season. Um, plus, I think just kind of like what Paul said, this offense is really underrated. The team itself is underrated, but I think the offense is really, really good for FAU. And I think they'll give Tennessee a challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, I have Creighton there just for the same reason, because they had an easy first game. And then my sleeper pick, uh, wow. I'm not super confident in this. I wouldn't is, either. Is Miami. I couldn't really pick another another team, honestly. So I just picked Miami because I really liked their guards. They had a really big slump. Um, coming into the tournament, and they've just sneaked by Drake, blew out Indiana. And I just, after, I don't think Miami matches up well against Houston, but I think if they do beat Houston, I think they can go toe-to-toe with a Xavier or toe-to-toe with a Texas. Oh, yeah. So I, I think that's Because they where, can score. Yeah, they can score. Like, they, they've got the offense capable enough to, to do it. Houston being a super defensive team and them being probably the better team matches up better for them. But if they are off their game at all, if Seltzer, as we all like to call him on this show. Right, yeah, right. Uh, Sasser, His friends call him Sasser. Seltzer. Seltzer, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sasser, uh, if he's hurt and <laughs> I think uh, – what, what's the other Jamal guy? Shed. Yeah, Sheed, Shed. 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 His friends call him Sheed. Sheed. Um, <laughs> Shed, uh, he if he's hurt too, I mean, that's really tough for Houston, in my opinion, to, to be able to stop Miami. So that's where I got my top five dark horses. Top. I'm gonna tell you what, fellas, I'm gonna tell you one thing right now. All right, because I'm not gonna, I'm leaving after this show. Yes, you are. You're driving to Kansas City. Here I come. Everything's up to date in Kansas City. Name the musical. You know it? I don't know it. All right, culture, culture. Go ahead. Yep. I'm gonna tell you one thing if it is. Midnight Eastern time. I'm sitting in Kansas City. You guys are sitting back here. And Xavier has beaten Texas. If we're at that point at midnight Eastern time. Friday night. Friday night. You're going to have a real tough time talking me out of Xavier beating one of those teams to get to the Final Four. Miami or Houston. Okay. If they, I think Texas is a bigger challenge to Xavier than either one of those teams. I know Houston's defensive effort this year has just been off the charts, but Houston has also been susceptible to some games that can favor Xavier. 
if, if Xavier can kind of speed them up and play their style, which is tough to do. We'll see. Okay. Tall task against Texas, okay. though. Tall okay. task. Okay. I, I Believe me, I'm not going to sleep on, on Houston. I, I, I really – Oh, I'm not. I, like, I, I just think they're really good, man. And, and, and that – those are men. They are. They're I mean, they, they got four guys crashing the boards that look like Hercules. They're sitting down and guarding your ass. I mean, they get if, that's, if Seltzer is healthy, um, and he looked good the second game. He did not play the second half of the first game. I think Texas is a harder draw for Xavier than Houston. Yes. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Yes, I do. All right. Um, here's your list, Tom. Uh, here's mine. Now, I picked four teams in the same bracket for the reasons you guys have pointed out. I just look at that bracket, and I say to myself, I'm staying away from an Alabama. I'm staying away from a Houston. I'm staying away from Texas or a Xavier. I'm staying away from uh, Gonzaga or a UCLA, a UConn. I mean, so FAU, Tennessee, Kansas State, Michigan State. I think if you looked at all of the teams that are out there, any one of those four, it is not a monumental task or effort to get to the final four. I think Kansas State's damn good team. They've proven it all year long. But are they beatable? Without a doubt. Michigan State beatable? Of course. Yep. FAU, Tennessee beatable? Of course. And then I think the long shot is Arkansas because, I look, um, they beat a, a terrible Illinois team in a second game. Uh, they got after it in beating Kansas, so they can beat anybody. But now all of a sudden you're going to have to beat UConn, who's very good, I don't think great. Uh, and then you got to beat the winner of Gonzaga, UCLA. I don't see it happen. Yeah, but that's a bit of a gauntlet. that would be I, – I just picked four teams in, in, the, um, in the same region. Because I, I just look at that region and, you know, um, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't scare me. I'm with, Creighton, I'm with you. But I think if Creighton gets into a game with Alabama, they're going to get boat raced. The, the Midwest and the West are tough. I, I guess the, the only asterisk I will say to, uh, to Houston, the only asterisk I will say is I'm just not. And this is, you know what this is? Uh, it's, it's, this is the Patrick Mahomes thing. Going back to how hurt are they? Yeah. I just all week keep hearing these things back and forth, back and forth about Jamal Shedd and, and Marcus Sasser. And now with a week off, maybe they'll be, they'll be um, you know, full strength. But if either one of those guys or if even both of those guys are not full strength, then whether it's Z- – because I, I do expect Houston to get past Miami. Um, if but, they're healthy. But, but if, if those guys are not full strength, then either Xavier or Texas is going to be a handful for Houston. But, I mean, Houston was also my pick to win the national championship. So So you're waffling now. I'm waffling a little bit. I mean, you've been hearing me say it all season. It's it's Jim Nance. It's Houston. It's in Houston. But it's fixed. Fixed. Where's the script at? The world baseball. If anybody was in the conspiracy theory business – Exhibit A would be last night in the WBC. Am I right or wrong on that? It was kind of the perfect script, right? If you believe in conspiracy, and there are a lot of you out there that believe in all these conspiracy theories in sports, Shohei v. Trout, two outs in the ninth inning, one-run game. Coincidence? 
or not. Did you see the way, by the way, the way our numbers took a nosedive after we started talking about anything else besides a National Football League? Well, our whole algorithm is NFL, Tom. Yeah. Although we did have 219 likes today. 220 now. 220 220 now. Let's go. So thank you, everybody. Thank you, everybody. That is fantastic. I sincerely mean that. Thank you. It's great to have, uh, you know, when there's no football – I mean, and let's face it, uh, and, and all you have to do is look at the last two weeks. It is tournament's been unbelievable. Uh, tons of people are watching it. You got your office pools going. You got the brackets going. You got the whole nine yards. And yet football seems to take front and center on, um, on everything. Boy, Sir Boy Wonder is on fire today. He's all over the place. Sir Boy Wonder. He call- really is. All- <laughs> You're right. <laughs> he called into the Xavier show the other night. That I was hosting after, or the the show that I was hosting after the, the Friday night, maybe NCAA tournament. It's like midnight. He was driving back from the Purdue game. Sir Boy Wonder was at the Purdue upset. Said it was electric. What, what a game to go to. Oh my god, what a tournament this has been. It's been it. unbelievable. It's awesome. And, and the best I think is still yet to come, because you, you you're gonna get you know outside of a dark horse here, dark horse here. You got a lot of the heavyweights left. Kansas is out. Purdue's out. I get it. But there's still a lot of that Gonzaga-UCLA game for me is absolute must-watch must television. Um, it does make me a little nervous when you, when you always see everybody talk and, and generate the same narrative and the same things over and over and over through the week. And there, were, there are two games that everybody is talking about for this weekend. Gonzaga and UCLA and Xavier in Texas. Yep. And I always get nervous going into a game like that, not – necessarily picking a side or whatever i'm just saying sometimes when you get your expectations so high for a game like that um you hope that you don't get let down just in the quality of the game because the way that texas plays offensively uh, i mean this could be this could be two teams that score in the 80s and play an incredible game i just hope it doesn't get bogged down in foul trouble and it yeah. gets played in the 60s or 70s or something like that um but i mean of the six, and I mentioned this on the rebound rundown today. Which, by the way, if anybody hasn't listened to the rebound rundown, maybe the episode that I'm most proud of of the entire season that I dropped today. It was incredible, incredible episode. I had um, a former Laker uh, assistant coach on the show, and then a current Xavier assistant on the show. Um, nice, really, really good show today. They, they, they really, um, they, they really brought it. But anyway, and tell everybody we, where they find it for those who don't know. Podcast. It's called the Rebound Rundown. Um, right. Any any podcast platform. It's not live. It's pre recorded. It's on it's on any podcast platform. Uh, but highly recommend you go listen to that. And we were talking just about these styles of these games and 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 you look at a Xavier and a Texas and Xavier of the sixteen teams remaining in the tournament. Xavier takes the most free throws. Within the tournament, they have attempted the most free throws of any of the 16 teams. Texas has attempted the fewest. So if you're talking about a game, and and Xavier makes their free throws. Yes, they do. So if you are talking about a game that potentially gets decided at the line, you have a guy like Sule Boom who's shooting in the 90s in crunch time, 90 percentile in crunch time in the last two minutes of the game. You, You like the way that favors. But I don't know. We'll see. Which Xavier was able to get Pitt to play into their style. This past weekend, we'll see if we'll see if uh, that if Xavier's able to do that on Friday night. Either way, it's going to be a very good game. Um, 
Sirboy Wonder says, Paul, what's the percentage you think Xavier wins the game? I think we'll know pretty quick. If you're 10 minutes into the game and Xavier's not in foul trouble, especially Jack Nunji down low, um, if Nunji doesn't have two fouls in the first 10 minutes, Xavier's going to be right in the game, I think. Um, look, if, it's all gravy. It is all gravy now with Xavier to, to, get to, to get to the Sweet 16 in a year like this where you're coming off an NIT appearance. Um, it's all gravy from here. So it'll You're getting be... killed by our bosses. Why? Houston? Houston. Oh, I mean, I don't care. I'm, yeah, I, I know. Not, I know. I, don't, I, don't, I know. Sean Spurlock, he lightened you up. I don't. Says I don't. everybody's talking about Xavier, I I Texas. I don't, I don't care. All right. I don't all right. Care. I think pundit, national pundits are definitely talking about yeah. this game. Yes. Well, there, there's, some, there's some great. I mean, they're all really good games. I mean, I, 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 you know, it may not have the sex appeal, but, I mean, I think that Michigan State and Kansas State is, is, is an appealing a game as there is out there. It's got a chance to be a hell of a game. Um. All right, do we have a um, cherry on top? We do have a cherry on top. It's not sports-related at all. Oh, good. It's not sports-related at all. Uh, they indicting Trump today? Is that the deal? No. You guys guys probably both put up that elatedly. No. Go ahead. No. Go ahead. All right, what is this? Please explain So check this out. We're just going to throw the headline up there. But look at this. The headline is The Great Escape. Eggscape. Authorities say two inmates in a Virginia jail used primitive tools to create a hole in the wall of their cell and escape. And then they were found hours later in an IHOP nearby. <laughs> hey, you got to get some good chow when you get out of prison. You can't blame a couple of guys for that. <laughs> uh, that's just IHOP is the first thing they went to. So I got some questions and I, to be honest. What do you it, think they had? The blueberry pancakes there? What do you think the- they had? Strawberry banana pancake. You gotta get some protein. Throw some bacon on the platter. Yeah, sausage. Yeah. Well, I didn't click the article, so I don't know. This may answer the question, but it said that the local people called them in. First of all, they're they're ratting them out. Two. How did they know that they were inmates? Are they sitting there in their prison garb? Probably right. They're sitting there in their orange jumpsuits, just chowing down on IHOP. Hey. How do they afford it? What are they paying with? Eat and run? Well, they were, yeah, they were, they weren't going to pay. We didn't get I mean, that come far. Come on, you're talking about criminals. They weren't going to pay. Of course, in New York, if they wouldn't have done this in Virginia, in New York, they could have, you know, they'd have been locked up. They process them. Somebody bails them out. And they'd have been eaten, uh, you know, uh, anywhere they want in New York City an hour later. They just let them out. <laughs> Virginia, they actually lock you up. Right? Uh, okay. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. Uh, we thank everybody for joining. Are, are, are they not doing box lunch today? No. no There's Miami game today. Ah, who's Miami, Miami playing today? Wright State. Really? Yep. Well, at least it's warm out today. It's not freezing cold. But a threat of rain. It, yeah, Is it softball could, or baseball? It's baseball. Okay. And, Paul, you are driving to Kansas City today. Solo or you got – you got company. Uh, no, I'm I'm driving with uh, one of the marketing guys from Xavier, so friend okay. of mine. Okay. Well, uh, Godspeed ahead. Safe travels. Thank you, Tom. Absolutely. And I'll, be, I'll be on the show whenever. whenever okay. You now want what we're going to do tomorrow is is um, we know we have Tracy Jones, we have Paul Doherty, um, but we're going to do what we did uh, from Buffalo uh, Wings and Rings last week, and then the following day on Friday, 
We're going to walk through all the games. So, Casey, bring your A game. Paul, bring your A game. Right? Yep. We're going to do the four Thursday games, preview them and pick them. I'm wondering if we almost ought to do, uh, at this point, a Sweet 16 pool, just the three of us. Well, you can do that. ESPN has a – they have a tournament thing where you can just go back in and repick because everybody's bracket gets shattered. So they have a tournament challenge for this. Well, I know, but it might be a little bit of fun just the three of us to do it. Okay. Let's oh, think about that. And then Friday, uh, Paul will join us from Kansas City, good Lord willing, tomorrow. And then uh, from Kansas City on Friday, uh, we'll, we'll rehash the four games from Thursday night. We will look forward to the four games coming up on Friday. We'll also be previewing the Elite Eight games. It'll be taking place on Saturday based on what happened Thursday. So you know where we're going. All right, boys. Case, thanks, Paul. Safe travels. Thank you, Tom. All right, guys. And we thank all of you. This was a, uh, this a big day today. A lot of likes, lots of viewers. Um, we thank all of you sincerely. From the bottom of our hearts here on Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers, have a great Wednesday.